Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, uh, talking with you once again this week about practical issues related to ministry leadership, what it means to give direction to a church or a ministry organization. I like to talk about practical issues because that's where most of us live, uh, trying to figure out how to apply the biblical and theological insights we have in meaningful ways to uh, address the the significant and specific challenges of ministry leadership. So thanks for joining me on the podcast week by week. For the past few weeks, I've been talking about personal evangelism. Um, I spent a couple of weeks talking about the techniques and methods and uh, some approaches that are important in evangelism and talking about barriers that uh, we erect that keep us from being effective evangelists. But while doing that and reflecting on my own recent witnessing experiences, I, I thought, you know, it's important to bring a balance. Yes, methodology and technique are important. Uh, yes, uh, theology and biblical information about witnessing are important. But it's also important to talk about the spiritual, con- the spiritual dynamics of personal evangelism. Uh, last week, I talked about the Holy Spirit and evangelism and what the Holy Spirit is doing and how the Holy Spirit is working in the context of a witnessing encounter or in the context of trying to share the gospel with people around you. Uh, today, I'd like to talk about another spiritual dimension of personal evangelism, and that is the dimension of prayer. Now, a few years ago, um, I was challenged with an interesting question, and that is, does the Bible Uh, say anything specifically about prayer in relationship to evangelism or in relationship to witnessing. And that sent me on a quest to study uh, in the New Testament, particularly uh, instances where the word prayer was used to describe praying related to evangelism or witnessing, or where in the New Testament a prayer was recorded uh, or written out, I would say, that is specifically connected to witnessing or or personal evangelism. And what I was delighted to discover was that there are about five or maybe six passages or prayers that speak directly to the issue of prayer related to evangelism. I say five or six because uh, two of them are very similar to each other and really communicate the same idea. So let's talk today about five ways um, to pray in relationship to personal evangelism or to pray in relationship to sharing your faith. And the first one of these is perhaps the most well-known, and that is we should pray for more people to join the harvest. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 9, 35 to 38, uh, or excuse me, the Bible says, then, then Jesus went, all, went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is Jesus' instruction to us that one of the first ways to pray in relationship to personal evangelism evangelism, is to pray for more people to join the work more people to get involved with the task, more people in Jesus' language to become harvesters, uh, to become people who share their faith and lead people uh, into a relationship with God through him. Now, the context of this instruction is very significant. It says that Jesus was moving through all the towns and villages, teaching, preaching, and healing, and that when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion, or that could also be translated heart rumbling. He felt an inner turmoil that boiled up within him when he saw all the needs around him. You might think that in the context of 
busy travel, preaching, teaching, healing, and of being emotionally moved by all the need that he's observed in the lives of people around him. You might think that Jesus' instruction to his disciples would be more like, get busy. Why are you guys standing around? Why are you wasting so much time? Why are you being so unproductive? Get busy. There's so much to do. There's preaching, there's teaching, there's healing. There's so many needs to meet. Look at the hurting people all around us. It seems like that's what Jesus might have said, but that's not what Jesus said. In the context of this incredibly busy, demanding, draining ministry experience, Jesus told his disciples, pray. And pray for more people to join us in this work. Jesus set the agenda for the original disciples. Don't work harder, but work smarter. In other words, don't just try to do it all yourselves by coming up with ingenious ways to be more effective. Instead, pray that God will send many more workers into his harvest so that more and more and more people will be involved in this significant task of winning other people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for many years, I misunderstood this prayer. I thought that what it meant was that I should pray for more Christians to get involved in the harvest. And so I prayed and I preached and I trained and I did everything I could to motivate the people that were sitting in the church chairs or the church pews in front of me every Sunday to get involved in sharing their faith. And then one day I realized that the harvesters that Jesus was praying would join the harvest in the context of the scripture that I read were not all the Christians that were already there because there weren't very many. Instead, he was praying that the harvested would become the harvesters. In other words, he was praying that people would come to faith in Christ and then join in the work of winning other people to faith in Christ. Now, my focus shifted a number of years ago in pastoral leadership from trying to get long-time Christians more engaged in sharing their faith to helping new believers become very very quickly uh, adequate uh, and effective communicators of the gospel. Now, why is it so important that new believers be engaged very quickly, very soon after their conversion, in the process of reaching other people with the gospel? Well, there are several reasons for this. The first one is that new believers have a passion for the gospel and for Jesus Christ that overcomes their lack of polish or their lack of training. You know, when a person has a heartfelt passion about something, uh, that comes through, and their sincerity and the way they communicate often is even more powerful than the mangled words or the confused message they may, they may share. Uh, I've had uh, a number of new believers that have gone out immediately and tried to win one of their friends to faith in Christ, and, and they weren't able to get the words out exactly right, or they didn't know exactly how to, uh, to present the gospel in a, in a, in a clear way, and they, they didn't know how to answer all the questions, and finally they just said to their friend, well, just come with me. And they brought the friend to see me as a pastor or as a leader or as a friend and said, look, Uh, this is my friend Jeff, and he helped me find Jesus. He can help you, and let him explain it to you. And I've been able to lead people to faith in Christ by that means. So we have to engage the harvested, the most recent converts in the process of winning people to Christ, and trust that their passion will overcome their lack of polish. Another reason is because new believers uh, know a lot of lost people. Now, one of the realities of Christian leadership is the longer you're a Christian leader, except in some rare, rare instances, the fewer lost people you'll know. 
you know, think about my life. I, I come to work every day and I work with Christians and I go out and I speak mostly to Christians and I'm called on the phone all the time by Christians who are wanting me to do things with them for other Christians. And a lot of my life is devoted to training and teaching and shaping Christian leaders. The longer I do this, frankly, the less connected to lost people I really am. But, law, but new converts, recent converts, they are still connected. All their friends are still in the lost community. All their people that they know at work, all the people they used to go out to clubs with, all the people they play, uh, play softball with, all the people that they're involved with are lost. And so why not engage them very uh, quickly in going back into their community with the gospel? And then another uh, reason that we have to uh, help new converts become witnesses very quickly is because they understand the communities that they've just come from or the communities they're living in. Uh, and by community, I mean more than just the geographical location, but I mean the people group or the, the, the tribe, if you will, that they've come from in coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I, I think about my friend Don who works with a movement called the Set Free Church Movement here in the Western United States. The set free guys are amazing. They're they're all uh, mostly um, either ex bikers, former drug addicts, uh, alcoholics, people who've had a pretty rough life. Most of them are all tatted up and have uh, uh, you know some very creative and interesting hairstyles, and and they're just they're just some unique guys. Okay, but they love Jesus Christ with a passion. And uh, when I go to speak to them or try to go and minister among them, their leaders receive me well, but quite honestly, there's a big disconnect between me and most of their guys. You know, I'm just, that's just not my people. That's not my background. That's not where I've come from. So what the Set Free guys do is they, they bring a person to faith in Christ, uh, get them into a discipleship program, usually a residential program, get them off drugs, off alcohol, get them stabilized with a mentor, and then pretty quickly get them talking to the people that they've come from uh, out of their gang or out of their biker group or out of their, out of their social group. Uh, get those guys talking to, the, to their friends about the gospel pretty quickly because that's how they're going to win more and more people to faith in Jesus Christ. So, you know, no matter what community you're from, whether you're uh, from a set-free community and, uh, uh, or, or whether you're from, you know, uh, uh, fraternity brothers or whether you're from ballet dancers or whether your people are race car drivers or hockey moms, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the people that from where lost people are connected, that community is who they need to go back to very quickly with the gospel. So the first prayer in relationship to personal evangelism or sharing our faith is that we have to pray for more people to join us in the harvest and not just pray for longtime Christians who are very set in their ways and pretty well established in their patterns to become witnesses, although, yes, they should, but we have to pray that God will give us new converts so the harvested become the harvesters because their passion, uh, their understanding of their communities, and their connections with lost people will give them an immediate entree into sharing their faith, and we need to train new believers to join us quickly in the task of sharing the gospel in our communities. Okay, a second prayer is that we can pray for more opportunities to share the gospel. Uh, in Colossians 4.3, uh, Paul uh, prayed this prayer. At the same time, he said, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah. Paul said, pray that doors will open that we can share the gospel. Now, the image of a door uh, is important throughout Scripture, and frequently it symbolizes opportunity. Paul's saying, pray that we will have more doors open. Pray that we will have more opportunities to share the gospel. Now, I had a funny thing happen to me once about this that was more than just a, an illustration. It, it really actually, uh, or more than just a, a story about an open door. It was an actual uh, incidence, uh, incident related to an open door. 
Um, for a while, I led a Bible study for baseball players, and it was on Tuesday afternoons at, at, a, at a Major League Baseball stadium. Um, and so I was down there leading Bible study one day when uh, we were about 10 minutes into the Bible study when there was a knock at the door. Well, that's frustrating because, you know, we're supposed to have this room reserved for Bible study and nobody's supposed to bother us and it gets used for other things at other times during the week, but we needed it for Bible study and we had it reserved. Why is anybody knocking on my door? So I got up, interrupted the Bible study, walked over, opened the door, and nobody was there. And I thought, oh, seriously? And then I looked down the hall and just as I did, I saw a leg sort of disappearing around the corner as the person was walking away. And I thought, really? I mean, come on, guys. Uh, You know, is that supposed to be funny or what's going on here? So I went back and sat down. And then just about the time I got started with with the next sentence of the Bible study, here's the same knock on the door again. I thought, oh, good grief. You know, I mean, this is a joke or what? So I go over there and open the door and there's a player standing there. And he said, oh, I, I, I just wondered if you're having Bible study today. And I said, yeah, we are. And I just stood there. And he said, well, would it be okay if I come in? And I felt like an idiot, but yeah, I said, oh yeah, sure, come on in. I mean, here's a guy literally standing at the door knocking, and I am literally standing there not letting him in. (laughs) I thought, what is wrong with me? You know, sometimes opportunity does come knocking, and we need to be ready for it when it does happen. So what does opportunity look like? Well, I've taught this in other contexts, in other podcasts, but remember that four, there's four phrases. Opportunity comes knocking to share the gospel when these four things happen. People die, health fails, relationships struggle, or things break. Now I've taught about these four things in lots of other contexts, so I'll just be brief here. But when people die, health fails, relationships struggle, or things break, meaning the dream dies or the the, 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 the hope that they had had something in like a new job or a new house or the, the things break. When, when any of these things happen in someone's life, that's your cue to step in with the gospel. You know, recently I, was, uh, uh, I, was, I met a guy named John, and uh, we struck up a conversation, and um, he asked me what I did, and I told him, and he looked like he was maybe retired. So I said, are you retired or are you still working? He goes, well, kind of both. And he said, I... Uh, I'm uh, retired, but I'm, I'm working a little side job right now. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm out away from home because my wife's kind of upset with me. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I had a side job of uh, doing income tax for people. And yesterday the IRS kicked in our front door and cleaned out my office. They took my computers, my files, they even took my phone. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't think I've broken the law, but maybe I'm doing taxes for somebody that's involved in something crooked. I, I, I don't know what to say. They didn't arrest me. They just took everything. They said we'd be back in touch. Well, he said, my wife didn't take it very well that somebody kicked in the door and broke, came into our house and took all our stuff, and so she's not too happy with me right now. Well, here's a guy who's having a relationship struggle and a things break moment where his business has been confiscated. So I said, you know, that's a, that's a tough go, man. I said, uh, I've never had anything happen to me quite like that, but I've had some tough things happen along the way as well. And the only way I've made it through has been my relationship with God. He's, he's really helped me. And that led us into a conversation about God and the gospel and church and what difference this could make in this man's life. And I was traveling and only going to see him for a few minutes. So, you know, I finished up the witness and gave him some encouragement about where he could get some further spiritual help. But it just reminded me once again that doors open. I mean, you strike up a conversation with a stranger, and pretty soon you're finding out some things that let you have entree into their lives. And in that moment, you have to step through the door. Step through the door with the gospel. Don't be reticent to say, hey, listen, I know uh, something about what you're going through, or I have a friend who's been through that, or I had a similar experience. And then share the gospel. Pray for open doors of opportunity. Well, here's the third prayer. 
and that is pray for bold insight for sharing the gospel. Uh, Paul wrote this prayer in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He said, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak as I should. Now, Paul prayed that he would know what to say when he spoke. He said, pray that the message will be given to me when I open my mouth. And then he said, second of all, pray, and he said this twice in his prayer, pray that I would be able to speak boldly, to, to, to declare boldly what needs to be said about the gospel. So uh, as you're using this prayer, pray for wisdom to share the gospel in today's world, meaning pray that God will help you to know what to say in the moment. Our world is complicated, and it seems to be getting more and more complicated all the time. And so having a ready-made answer for every situation is impossible. You, you simply can't memorize that much material and have it readily available at any, at any particular moment that a question gets raised. Instead, you have to do your best to prepare and study and understand what the Bible says about life and about life circumstances and situations, and then trust that in the moment, God will give you the words to say. I remember when a young woman with an eating disorder came to my office once. I had no idea what to say to her. I, I, w- I had never dealt with anyone up until that moment that had an eating disorder. I <clears throat> was not aware of any particular verse of Scripture that spoke in any way to this particular issue. And yet, here she was, sitting in my office, crying out for help, uh, asking me if there was any way that, I could, that she could find peace in her life and find a relationship with God. And that day, I simply had to pray a quick prayer. God, give me wisdom, and God, give me boldness, and God, help me to say the right thing as I share the gospel with that young woman. And I think about another instance which required real boldness. I, I was in a, a weird situation once where I was flying and uh, was in an airport when a guy came over to me, and he was, had on a kind of a, a disguise. He had on some big sunglasses and kind of a baggy jacket and shirt and and he seemed a little sketchy, quite honestly, but he kept edging over kind of closer to me and finally he turned to me and pulled his sunglasses down and said, hey, it's me. And I knew the guy. Uh, it was a, a professional baseball player. And I said, oh, hey, man. He goes, hey, are you on this flight? And I said, yeah. And he goes, hey, let's get our seat switched if we can. I want to sit by you. I want to talk to you about something. I said, sure. So we got our seats switched and we sat down together and I said, what's on your mind? He said, well, here's my situation. Uh, you know, I got arrested yesterday for chasing my girlfriend through the security at the uh, airport. Well, there were a lot of red flags that just went up in my mind because I know this guy, and I know he's married and has two kids, and I know that he shouldn't have a girlfriend, and I know you shouldn't be chasing anybody through security at an airport. So I said, what in the world happened, man? What were you thinking, and what do you mean you have a girlfriend? And for the next two hours, for the next two hours, I spent uh, trying to talk this guy out of an adulterous relationship. It was an unbelievable conversation. And I kept praying all the way through it, God, give me boldness. God, help me hold the line. God, don't let me compromise. <clears throat> this guy was so confused, so mixed up. He was giving me all kinds of justification, including trying to justify what he was doing by claiming that God was somehow blessing him or honoring him for doing it. And I just kept praying, God, give me boldness. God, give me wisdom. God, help me know what to say. That was a hard day of witnessing the gospel. So you can pray this way. God, give me boldness, and God, give me wisdom, and help me know what to say in the moment so that I'll say the right thing in communicating about the gospel. 
And then a fourth prayer that you can pray is to pray for the gospel to spread rapidly. Now, most of us think of the gospel spreading slowly. We think the gospel spreads, you know, one person at a time and that converts are hard to find and people are coming to faith very slowly. And maybe in our world and particularly in our country or culture, that's true, but that may not be the case everywhere. Listen to what the Bible says in in, uh, Thessalonians. Paul wrote, finally, brothers, pray for us that the Lord's message may spread rapidly and be honored. That's 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Paul's request was for rapid expansion of the gospel, and we can pray the same prayer in our generation. Pray for rapid expansion of the gospel. Um, Rather than pray that God will give your church one convert, ask God to give you 100 people who will come to faith in Christ and be baptized. Pray for rapid expansion of the gospel. Pray for mass expansion of the gospel. You know, there are places in our world where the gospel is spreading rapidly, uh, where the gospel is, is really exploding in populations, where there's thousands of people coming to faith in Christ, and where <clears throat> church planting movements are saturating uh, the, the culture with the gospel. And so I want to challenge you to pray that way for your church and for your community. Don't just pray that God will save a few. Don't pray for a trickle of converts. Pray for a flood. Uh, Don't don't pray for a little awakening. Uh, Let's pray for a sweeping revival that would cause hundreds or thousands or maybe even millions of people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, this prayer really grips me. Finally, brothers, finally, brothers, Paul prayed. For the, pray with me for the rapid expansion of the gospel. Pray that the gospel will exponentially uh, expand in our communities. So pray for the rapid expansion of the gospel. And then finally, pray for people to be saved. Now, for a long time in my early ministry, I wondered, is it really appropriate to pray for people to be saved? I mean, is that something you should ask God for? And then I found in Romans 10.1, Paul wrote this instruction. He said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning Israel is for their salvation. So here's Paul praying, not for an individual but by name, but certainly for a people by name. He said, my heart's desire and prayer is for Israel to be saved. This verse liberates us to pray for people to be saved. Uh, do this on several levels. First, pray for nations and tribes or people groups to be saved. Your church hopefully has a strategy to help you engage the global community with the gospel where you're praying for a people group or a tribe or a nation to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I think about my mother-in-law. She's in her mid-80s and she has prayed for Africa and for people to come to faith in Africa for the last probably 60 years. Uh, she loves Africa. She's been to Africa. She's traveled to Africa. She's le- read and studied and learned about Africa. And she's had this deep burden to pray for people in Africa to become Christians. And I look at the African continent now where the gospel is spreading rapidly and people are coming to Christ by the thousands. And I wonder just how much of that is a response to the prayers of people like my mother-in-law and the prayers of a previous generation of Christians who were part of sending the first missionaries to Africa and who prayed so many agonizingly long and beautiful and powerful hours of prayer for Africans to come to faith in Christ. So pray for nations, tribes, or peoples to be saved. Second, uh, pray for your own community and people within subgroups of your community to be saved. Um, Pray for people at your workplace. Pray for people in your classes, at school. Pray for people in your community by subgroups to be saved. 
And in doing this, focus your praying not only on those people in subgroups, but if you're a part of that group, then the third level is to pray for people by name, pray for individuals to be saved. Um, it's so important to, to, to have a prayer list of lost people that you're asking God to save. Um, you know, I, I travel, and, 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 and several of my witnessing encounters are in that context, and I know I will likely never see the person again that I encounter with the gospel. And sometimes I'll give them my contact information. Sometimes it may not seem appropriate to do that. Uh, oftentimes I'll encourage them to get in contact with a church I may know in their community or someone in their area that can help them spiritually. Uh, but oftentimes I find myself walking away from those experiences and praying a prayer like this, Lord, I may never see that person again. But by name, right now, I'm calling out and asking you to save them. I'm asking you to work in their lives, to do whatever is necessary, to bring the gospel to bear on their situation. Bring a friend into their lives who will share the gospel. Get them connected to a gospel-preaching church. God, by some means, get the gospel into their lives and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And I am waiting to get to heaven to someday see the answers to all those prayers. So... The Bible has some specific things to say about what it means to pray in relation to evangelism and particularly in relationship to personal evangelism. So we're going to pray for more people to join the harvest, and we're going to focus on the harvested becoming the harvesters, helping people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ to very quickly uh, become witnesses in their own communities. Pray for more opportunities to share the gospel using the language of Scripture. Pray that doors will open and that you'll have opportunity to share the gospel as you see those openings in people's lives. Pray for bold insight about sharing the gospel. Ask God for boldness and for wisdom. It's a complicated world. You can't memorize all the answers or have some prepared speech. You have to be able to have a dialogue. Pray that God will empower you for that. Pray for the gospel to spread rapidly. It's not enough for just one or two people to come to faith. Pray that there will be movements of people coming to faith in Christ, and not just global movements, but local movements right in your own community. And then finally, pray for people to be saved. Pray for, sub, for, pray for tribes and nations and peoples, yes. Pray for subgroups of people that you may know personally. And then even more specifically, pray for people by name, asking God to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. These five prayer strategies come right out of Scripture. Jesus said, if we pray according to God's will, we know he hears us. If you're praying something that's a prayer of Scripture or a specific instruction that's to pray from Scripture, you know you're praying according to God's will. So take these five ideas and the Scriptures that support them and build your own personal prayer strategy related to your work of personal evangelism. And then you could use these same uh, five key ideas to build a church prayer strategy to be praying corporately about this issue of winning people to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, it's a part of leadership, being an example of sharing our faith. I hope you're doing it. Lead on.